Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Marketing. I hope you're having a great day and thank you for listening to the show. I'm really looking forward to getting started with today's episode because we have two guests on the show at the same time, which is a first for us. Hopefully this is going to allow us to have more of an open conversation and a chat instead of the usual one-to-one type interviews. So the two guests that I'm going to be speaking with are Jake Surrey and Gemma Russell from Fountain Partnership, which is a global award-winning digital marketing agency. And over the years, they've won several Google Premier Partner Awards, such as Best Search Performance in EMEA. So they have lots of experience in building out large and successful PPC campaigns that they're going to be able to share some insights with us today. So yeah, let me introduce them. Hi, Gemma. Hi. And hi, Jake. Hello, mate. Thanks for giving up your time to be with us today. We'll start with a quick introduction from you both, and then we'll get started with our chat. So could you tell us about yourselves and your role at Fountain Partnership, please? Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first then. So yeah, my name's Jake. I've worked with Fountain for about three and a half years. I've been in marketing for probably quite a long time, uh, about 14 years now. So I was working in the UK office, but I'm actually married to a Canadian lady who prefers living in Canada to the UK. And so I lead our North American operations now uh, and have done that for about a year or so. Thanks, Jake. And then same questions to you as well, Gemma. I've worked at Fountain for a couple of years, just about about two and a half years. I'm now senior digital marketing consultant and focus really on PPC. I've been in digital marketing for over 10 years, so probably 10, 12 years now, scarily. And um, my, uh, my main role at Fountain now, I guess, is working on the sort of larger PPC accounts. So I work quite a lot across quite a lot of accounts in terms of strategy, but my main focus is still managing sort of larger PPC accounts here at Fountain. Yeah, thanks, Gemma. So before we start, here's a quick rundown of the plan. During this episode, we're going to be talking about strategy and setup, as well as some optimization tips. And then in the second part of our conversation, which will be out next week, we'll be covering scaling up your account, ad copy, call to actions and things like that. Ultimately, there's just not enough time for us to cover all of those things on one episode. And I wanted to make sure that Jake and Gemma were able to tell you as much as they could. So we've decided to split it out into two conversations. So yeah, let's get started. I have a list of questions that I'll be asking in each segment and then either Gemma or Jake or both can just sort of hop in and answer. Uh, there's no real set structure apart from a few topics and themes that I've listed down to cover along the way as we go. So the first of our four segments is going to be about strategy and setup. By that I mean making sure that your account is using the right settings and that your account is well organized and clean to allow you to be successful as things progress. So first of all, what type of research do you perform when you start to build an account out? Yeah, I mean, I think the first questions that we tend to ask are what around the underlying business metrics. I mean, and that would really apply to any marketing. So, you know, how much money are you making per sale? How much how much are you willing to pay for a lead or how much are you willing to pay for a sale? What's the lifetime value? I mean, it depends, right, if it's an e-commerce or if it's a B2B. But essentially, we want to find out if we're generating leads or sales through PPC, how much are they worth to the business? Because that really defines everything else that we're going to do. After that, we do a lot of industry research, a lot of competitor and sort of general business research. What's the sales process like? And then we go into the sort of PPC specific side of things, which would be related to, you know, keyword research, essentially, um, you know, what keywords should we be running against? What's the, you know, using various tools, primarily the Google ones, what's the likely CPC, what's the likely search volume going to be? 
and then we build out a bit of a forecast to kind of go well this is what if we make these set of assumptions this is what it should look like and these are the keywords that would be viable to run up against based on those sort of initial business metrics I think it's really important when we're looking at these things as well to make sure that you don't put all your reliance on, for example, one keyword or one audience, or we try and diversify so that if, for example, you put all your, I suppose, put all your eggs in one basket and think that one or two keywords are going to generate all of your volume, that's obviously not a very good position to put a client in. So it's really good idea to really think through all of these things and try and have a fairly solid plan and, and also plan B and possibly even plan C as well when you're doing that. And when you're looking at data and planning out keywords, are you doing that via Excel or is there something else that you're using to record information? So we we have a forecasting, a, a custom built forecasting tool, but effectively we use Excel really and, and a number of different Excel formulas. In fairness, that tends to be Probably the most the simplest way to do it, um, especially when you're starting out. And obviously that can be used in some cases as the basis of the account setup. If you're looking at using, I suppose, the formulas for uh, AdWords editor and whatnot. But yeah, it, it's, it's normally the best way. I think Excel is normally a fairly robust way to do it. Sounds good. I have a question now that I think will be suited towards Gemma. So you said that you manage quite a few large campaigns, which I'm assuming might take several days or weeks to build out. Do you build out the entire account and then turn it live or are you turning on each campaign as you go along? This is interesting, actually, because I think when I first started working at Fountain, I was very much on the cautious side of things and I would be much more concerned and do it on an incremental basis. So test one thing and then learn and then go, you know, and go from there. I think or working with larger and larger accounts, I think it's actually important to try multiple things at the same time and try and learn as quickly as possible. A lot of the time I would potentially do uh, employ a number of tactics and front load the budget so you can learn as quickly as possible and then focus on the things that are actually generating the best quality leads or you know the best return for the client. I think otherwise you run the risk of wasting a lot of their time and potentially a lot of their money by doing one thing after another after another. It does depend on the situation and of course the goals and a number of other things but if that's possible I'd probably prefer to try and be in a position to do as much as possible as quickly as possible. It's interesting as well because when I joined Reach the company already had a, an account set up and that was done by someone a few years before I'd started. So let's say you have a contract with a new client that already has an account built up. What would you look for in that scenario? We've got an audit checklist that we use uh, and, and have various areas that we would look at. So we'd use that as a starting point, really, just to see what sort of shape the account is in. It does vary from the really basic stuff like keywords and ads to the more advanced settings and whether they're using automation or not, for example. And I think there's a number of different areas that we would look at. And we would base it on what we find works with the best performing accounts in the agency at the moment. And we kind of benchmark it against them. I guess there is always an element of your own personal, um, the, the, what works for you and the accounts that you work with. But generally speaking, I think, yeah, there are, I suppose, 20, 30 things that you would look through. It is really also important to focus on the basics, campaign structure, keywords, ads, audiences, those sorts of things. And let's just touch on the settings inside the account for a few minutes. I'm interested to see what your thoughts are when it comes to bidding strategy, whether to use search partners or goal settings. So do you have any tips um, on any of those? 
Yeah, and I'll jump in on goals, and I think Jem is probably a bit more advanced than I am on bid strategies. So it really does depend, and it depends on those initial conversations that we have with the client around, you know, what are the underlying business metrics. So there are times you can include micro conversions. You know, if you're not getting enough conversions, you could include events as micro conversions to kind of increase the volume going through the account. But in general, it's really what we're always trying to do is to drive back to what is the most profitable for the client. So that will really define what the goals are within the account and what we what we define as conversions and you know there are times where say for example in a b2b scenario there are things like document downloads which doesn't necessarily correlate to a sale but that document download might well create an opportunity for a salesperson to follow up so you know we it really really does depend but what we try and do is is sort of figure out what's the purchase cycle you know if it's lifetime if it's just an e-commerce platform great we've got sort of you know somebody adds to a basket goes to checkout goes to sell great you know that's that's good to know and in b2b it can be a bit more complex but so it is a bit of sort of how long is a piece of string but very much defined on on those core business metrics with regard to bid strategy that's quite an interesting one i think predominantly it does does go back to the client's goals but it does also depend on the amount uh, of campaign budget that you have to spend and um, how many conversions are running through that campaign as well so generally speaking where there is a an unlimited budget so you can spend as much as you like as long as you're achieving a particular return on investment or uh, cost per acquisition for example or cost per lead then in those cases, I think target CPA and target ROAS are like the gold standard. I think they're, they're really, generally speaking, the bid strategies that perform the best. However, they don't work in every scenario. If there's not enough data or there's not enough budget, so you can't have a 10 times target CPA or uh, you know budget applied, then we find that the maximized conversions or maximized conversions value tend to be more appropriate. But then that said, there are situations where Again, because of the goals of the client or the, the the company, that you know target impression share might be more appropriate. But I think in probably the majority of cases, those four bid strategies I think are the ones that we would we would generally would go for. You know, we generally try and apply. This is probably a question for Jake. What are your preferences when it comes to dynamic or responsive search ads? Pretty much the answer to all the questions for this are it depends. I think they do work really well. So you've got responsive search ads and responsive display ads. So that's where you give Google a number of assets and then it will essentially massively split test them. And so what you'd do, say, for responsive search ads, where like your normal expanded text ad will have a couple of headlines, or sorry, three headlines, a couple of descriptions. And so what you can do is just upload a bunch of selections for it to choose from for headlines, a bunch for descriptions, and then it will just like pick and choose and it'll optimize towards which ones are the best. So it can get a bit greedy with budget if you're running that against uh, just standard ETAs in an ad group, but it often does perform really well. Responsive display ads, similar, you upload some creative assets, you upload some calls to action. And those are, yeah, I always used to think they look less good than, you know, if you've got sort of a really nicely designed banner asset. But the fact is, because of the way Google is testing and testing all different placements and stuff, it, they actually work really, really well. And this is, you know, if you look at we, I don't know, we probably manage about 50 or 60 accounts. And if you look at all of our display activity, it's pretty much across the board that responsive display ads will outform just your standard GDM placement. So that's that's pretty interesting. Dynamic search ads would be where you give Google a URL, like so one of your pages, and then sort of leave it to go off and play and basically create its own ads. And they can work really, really well. They can be a bit of a black box. So what, what annoys me is that they'll often perform better than something that you've built yourself but it's it's you don't get quite as much data 
but they're really, really useful for helping you to identify new keywords that you can then pluck out and sort of apply individually. Um, so that can be helpful. The last one that sort of is a similar term is dynamic keyword insertion, which is where what you're doing is basically asking Google to include the search term into the ad. So like, you know, let's say somebody's Googling uh, IT services, Canada, you basically, you know, and it might be IT services in Alberta, where I live, it basically will insert the, the search term into the ad. So yeah, that's best practice to make the ad that you're showing as relevant as possible to the search term. So all of them are really useful in different scenarios. It just depends as I say, on what you're trying to do. And it's always worth testing them, you know, and, and, and then just seeing, seeing how you get on versus, versus your normal activity. It's balanced between having control over the account and then letting the automation take over. And I think the automation is getting better and better. You know, probably three years ago with the bid strategies, for example, they probably didn't work as well as your manual bidding or even your eCPC, whereas now they are performing a lot better. And it's just interesting to see how quickly Google and Facebook and, you know, the other platforms are learning and their automations are improving. Yeah, that's a solid breakdown of each option. And I'm sure it'll help anyone listening that hasn't explored those options as well. I actually started out just using traditional search and display ads and slowly incorporated responsive search ads and they, they are performing really well. So I would recommend testing them. Let's move on to the second segment of our conversation now, which focuses on optimization. So essentially, I'm referring to an account that is already up and running. And the goal is essentially to increase conversions, but reduce the cost of doing that. So first of all, how important is it to continually monitor your account and how regularly do you do that? I'm going to call that a Gemma question because you're more hands-on than me. <laughs> it does depend on the account size. So I look at I look at all my accounts every day. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily make changes every day, but I'd always keep a good uh, good look at what's going on on a daily basis, especially to start with. It always takes a little bit a little bit of time. So maybe. Uh, a week or two to get your head around something that you know is new to you I think um, but in an ideal world I think it's important to leave things maybe a week or two before making changes if you keep making changes every day you'll never understand what's worked what hasn't what's impacted and what's not um, I think it's important to really analyze what's working over quite a significant period of time sometimes so maybe six, 12 months and analyze that data to give you a good grounding in what keywords have actually converted. So you can actually then build on that and, and make it, you know, make it better, you know, improve it. I was going to ask you how long you wait to make changes, but you've covered it there. I kind of touched on this in a previous episode as well on PPC, where I was talking to Todd Chambers about landing pages. And he spoke about how it can take months for your experiments to reach significant data levels, especially if you have a low number of clicks and you sort of followed the same theme there. So I think it is important to make sure that you, you aren't making too many changes all at the same time. A good thing to note that especially with automation, when you're testing a new bid strategy, there is a significant period of learning. So that can sometimes be three or four weeks. It does depend on the size of the account. And especially in the first few days, the results can be quite unpredictable. It can spend quite a lot of money in quite a short space of time. So it's important to set expectations so that you don't get people wondering what, why is, you know, why has this happened? But that can also be quite important to be aware of as well. Yeah, great point. Moving on to a new topic, how important is it to continue adding negative keywords? Yeah, there's so much variety if you think about what you type into Google. And there, there's sort of quite a lot of nuance to that. And what you really want to do is capture the people with the intent 
to buy your products or you know sometimes with the intent to find out more about your products and more about your company you, you want to make sure that you're removing any that are irrelevant and especially you know with, with more expensive keywords it can really really add up so like i work with an it company here in calgary and the keywords they're not that expensive but you know 10 10 15 bucks each you click so really if you're getting irrelevant clicks through then it can it can have a massive impact and it can it can affect quite a lot. So yeah, what we'd sort of be doing is we're always reviewing the search term reports. So reviewing, you know, okay, we've got these keywords running. What are the search terms that have triggered those ads to show? And are all of them relevant? And then we're consistently, you know, removing and, and adding negative keywords, both at an account, sometimes at an ad set level. Something that's been interesting to note in you know recent times where we've had the COVID situation is there's been a bit of an adjustment in terms of sort of different types of negative keywords to add so yeah there's a lot of people just trying to figure out is this place still open these kinds of things like what people are searching for is a little bit different and so you just want to remove the keywords that are never going to drive any sales or relevant traffic to or sorry remove the search terms that aren't going to drive any relevant traffic to you but yeah like definitely important just because of the different ways that you know that people could be searching the same thing or similar things but actually they have quite different intent and sort of massive purchase intent or little purchase intent and then in your big accounts are you going as deep as the search terms that have a couple of clicks and impressions or is that not viable to be honest it tends to be the top ones i think what's important to remember there's actually probably a link point here is when you're using broad match keywords don't use single broad match keywords or try to avoid it because one of the interesting things about the search query report is it doesn't show you all of the variations of search terms it won't ever show you all of them it just shows you a picture of them so that can be a bit of a tricky thing to keep a hold of what I tend to do is filter search queries by the number of impressions so obviously depending on the size of the account and the number of clicks and whatnot so you can actually see and then sort it by cost so you can see what's actually spending money if you filter it by the number of impressions, what you can do is obviously see how often something's actually being searched for and understand what's a potential problem and what's going to creep up quite a lot. What I tend to do is try and add like phrase match negatives or rather than just, you know, ticking them and adding them as exact match to try and prevent, you know, if you can see a trend occurring, I suppose, if you can see something that's coming up a lot, it's just an easier way to almost batch negative match something rather than trying to, um, you know, trying to add multiple. And then how much attention should we be paying to quality score? Gemma, I'll let you answer because you, you had a lot of insight yesterday. I don't obsess over it, actually. I, I mean, I think one of the things I would say, though, is I think it's important to make sure that the quality score of the keywords you have in your account is five, six upwards, really, in an ideal world. Ideally, really, a lot higher than that. So maybe seven or eight. But I know that's not not always possible. But that's really a good benchmark that you're actually having relevant keywords in your account. Um, that said, I know that there are people that are obsessive about improving the quality score. I think that you can use the columns in AdWords such as, you know, landing page experience, ad relevance, those sorts of things. That's always quite useful to break it down and also to look at what it is now compared to its historical metrics. So you get a sense of, has it changed? So, you know, so if you've made changes to a landing page and that's negatively affected the quality score, you can pick it up. So that's really useful. I wouldn't necessarily obsess over it. If you're converting well and you're driving money and your quality score isn't great, I mean, you know, it's it's a thing to optimize, but it's not uh, it's not as important as profit. 
I mentioned earlier that we already had an account built out before I joined Reach and it was sort of a big mess and there was things going on everywhere. So we decided to just build out a new account from scratch. And as a result, our cost per click came down by around two to three pound per click in some cases, which over a long period is obviously a huge saving. So is building out new accounts for the same brand something that you've done or continue to do? A lot of the time, you know, if you do clean things up, Google is quite good at responding. And, and you know, if you've optimized things properly, from an account that you've taken over that was set up poorly. It will respond pretty well. I'll give you an example though. You know, we took over an account this year on this side of the pond where it was a business with quite a lot of different product types and places that they'd sell the product. And they actually had eight AdWords accounts. So Google Ad these days, Google Ad accounts and eight Facebook accounts, probably about 15 different analytics views. And we actually centralized all of that. So that was an example where it just made a lot more sense to put all of the data into one place. It's easier from a practical point of view but also just in terms of optimization you've got more data running through the accounts there's more conversions so your automated bid strategies are working better and you know it's you can just see things in in one place and you can also from sort of a remarketing point of view you could build better bigger and better remarketing audiences and do a bit of cross-pollination so that was a good example of where it made sense to totally restructure i i quite like having it sort of clean uh, and so yeah in general if we take something over we'll try not to but there are times where it's definitely worthwhile doing so I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on Skags as well. I get quite a lot of mixed opinions from agencies and blog writers about whether they should be used. A Skag is a single keyword ad group. So as the name would suggest, it's finding your the most valuable keywords, the keywords that generate the highest volume of conversions, whether that be leads or sales, and separating them into their own individual ad group. Now, the benefit of that is that you can obviously manage the keywords that are most uh, most precious, most valuable to you, that are generating the most for you. You can obviously optimize them and see their performance really, really easily. However, I think it does depend on how much volume you've got running through that account and also how many different match types you're using, because obviously you could have a keyword which is exact match in one ad group, phrase match in another, broad match in another. I have had I'd probably say some success in some cases by separating out a keyword and in other cases, not so much. So I would probably say if it's a high volume keyword and it gets a lot of a lot of traffic, a lot of leads, a lot of sales, then yes, separate it into its own ad group. But then as you get to the keywords that are still kind of similar, but potentially don't get as much, don't get as much traction, so don't get as many searches, then I'd probably start to group them together. So I'd almost take a bit of a, maybe a a dual approach to that one. And I wouldn't necessarily say single keyword ad groups will always work or they always won't work. I think you probably need to take a bit of a blended approach. Yeah, sounds good. So I think we'll leave the optimization section there. In the next episode, which will be out next week, we'll be talking about upscaling as well as ad copy and call to actions that you can include to improve click-through rate. And if you stay tuned for a few more minutes, I'll be asking Gemma a few quick questions to close out the episode. So we always finish episodes with a couple of fun questions that focus on career and personal development. I'm going to put the spotlight on Gemma for this episode since you went last in the introduction and then I'll ask the same questions to Jake next week. So a great question that I always start out with, do you have any fun or interesting stories from the beginning of your career? I actually got a job in like a pricing sort of financial job. I'd never actually done digital marketing before. So I arrived on my first day at my new job and they asked if I would be able to cover for maternity cover for the digital marketing manager. Bear in mind, I'd never, I didn't even know what Google Ads was. 
or an affiliate or anything like that. And this was a fully kind of digital company. So bear in mind, this was, like I say, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I had one day's training, one one keeping in touch day um, with the previous marketing manager. And then the only other person in the company who had any idea about anything to do with digital marketing went on honeymoon for a month. So I really did have a baptism of fire, but it worked out all right in the end, clearly, because I'm still doing it now. Yeah, that's a great answer. And it's funny how many people sort of just find themselves in the industry unexpectedly. One final question. Do you have any resources that you use when you're looking for Google ad updates or anything marketing related that our listeners might find useful? I get search engine land, marketing land. They have quite good summaries at the end of them. They'll have like maybe 10 articles at the bottom uh, from all around the web. So that can be really useful to find different stuff. Um, I really like PPC Hero as well. That can be really good. Um, but they're the, they're the, probably the main ones that I end up reading and I still subscribe to Moz, um, and get the roundup of that, but there are so many, but they're, they're probably the best, the best ones that I, you know, I'd use the most often, I think. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks for sharing those resources with us. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to the episode and we'll be back with part two next week.